Father, I, uh, I hesitate to add my feeble words to what we've just sung, because what we have sung has been so rich uh, in meaning, so, so treasured by your people. Oh, Jesus, lover of our souls, let us to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high, hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past, safe into thy, to the haven guide. O receive my soul at last. That, O God, is the prayer of every Christian here today. And I pray that you will hear our voices, see our hearts, accept our worship, and accept these tokens of our commitment to Jesus Christ as expressions of our faith and trust and our love for you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's to you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, well, let me read the text first, and then I'll... I'm in Matthew 28, a very famous passage of Scripture, beginning at verse 16. Follow as I read. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it is, in, it is something that will endure forever. Gang, uh, you probably recognize that passage. That passage is called the Great Commission. Uh, if you never heard the term the Great Commission, that's because you haven't been around evangelical churches long enough because it is frequently the theme, uh, particularly around missions conference time. Uh, one of the questions that we get asked a whole lot in the new members class, uh, the, those new members classes that we conduct four times a year, at the, at the closing of those new members classes, we allow for some questions and answers. And one of the questions that we get asked quite frequently has to do with Grace Evans' involvement in missions. And, and a good question it is. They want to know uh, how much are we giving, um, uh, what are we doing with it, who makes those decisions, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, if questions like that have ever crossed your mind, then um, boy, do I have a suggestion for you. You might want to plan some time this week to be a part of the missions conference here at Grace Evan. It really kicks off um, Wednesday night, but uh, we have had a committee, a missions conference committee, that has been working on this conference for months and a, and a marvelous job they have done. And uh, they asked me if I could somewhat kind of kick things off this morning by um, uh, directing your attention to something that would be um, pertinent and relevant to the whole missions conference. So that's why I've chosen this Great Commission text. I don't know of anything that could be more appropriate. And again, uh, if you've never heard that term, here it is for you. When the, when, uh, if you're ever in a Bible quiz and somebody asks you where the Great Commission is found, it's found in Matthew chapter 28. But by the way, um, I didn't see her earlier. I, I, I must pause uh, because I've got to introduce this woman to you too because she is the woman who is in charge of the whole symphony part 
which is enormous. You've got Janetta Adair handling the housing, and then you've got a woman who is, who is handling the whole thing. Um, and her name is Kathy Thiessen, and she's sitting right out there, too. And Kathy, I want you to stand, please. I want you to see uh, uh, this woman. Thank you, Kathy, for your, your labors. Um, this, this is a very talented group of people who have worked on putting together this missions conference. And very frankly, all the credit, uh, if there ever is any, uh, belongs to them. And it does happen also if anybody blows it, it they get blamed for it too. You, you do realize that. But, but uh, they've done a great job. And, and again, they've asked me to preach something that will hopefully kick us off. So <clears throat> I, I, must, I, I must say that uh, one of my concerns about preaching this text is because I think so many of you have heard it preached so frequently. And there's not a whole lot new that I can say about it. Uh, but I'm going to do my best and see if some of what's in here... Uh, might stimulate you to love and good deeds. So bear with me as we go through this text rather rapidly as we head towards the Lord's Supper. First of all, if I were uh, the uh, game show host here and I had a question, I'd, I'd ask this question of you. In that text, which is known as the Great Commission, what are you commanded to do? Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you think that this text commands you to go, you would have missed the question. Because this text does not contain a command, an imperative to go. It does not. Um, what it does contain, and it does contain a command, and we'll get to that in just a second, but the, the words that are translated go therefore, or just go, in the Greek are found in, a, in participial form. It's not in the imperative. It's a participle, which means that it should be translated something like this. Having gone, while going, or when you go. My first point simply is to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the Great Commission assumes, it doesn't command you, it assumes that you are in some way involved in, world, in, in, world, in leading people to Christ. It assumes that. It doesn't say, all right, and you know, and, I, and I've been to these missions conferences where they have this, on the back, this big word that says, go. Well, it's a little bit misleading because, ladies and gentlemen, it ought to have something back there that says, having gone, it assumes that each and every one of us is going to be involved somehow in the carrying out of the Great Commission. Now, you want to know where the command is? The command is in there. It's in the imperative, and it's the next words. Make disciples. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the command. So what you have in the Great Commission is something like this. Having gone, make disciples. Not to, Now, if you choose to, uh, to get really committed and, and uh, do something, you know, in world missions, and uh, uh, if you really are a spiritual person or involved, uh, we want you to make some disciples out there. No. It assumes that every person here is in some way involved in the evangelization of the world. And what it wants you to do while doing that is to make disciples. There's your imperative, ladies and gentlemen, not make converts. There is no imperative on making converts. The imperative is on making disciples. In the midst of our going, 
It is disciples, not church growth. It's disciples that we're, um, we're trying to see come about from our efforts. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I could sit here and tell you horror stories uh, from church history about people trying to uh, obey this text. Um, a group of um, people are herded together and, um, and by some military force are uh, forced to convert. Uh, I read another story years back about a, uh, a, another group, a Germanic tribe, I think, that was gathered again, once again by force, and priests stood up on this scaffold, this, this uh, scaffold, let's call it, and threw water all over the people that were in the crowd, which was baptism, which meant that they were converted. Well, let's just say for the moment that both of those efforts really did convert people. Well, very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, if they did convert people, which we probably don't believe they did, but if they did, they still didn't obey this text. Because this text has, does not tell us to make converts. It tells us to make disciples. Gang, um, in this text you will find also what is the heart, what is at the heart of making disciples. It is teaching. Make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Real, real quickly, but folks, um, it is not simply the presentation of facts, that is the communication of content, uh, although that's a, a, a very important part of everything, but uh, making disciples includes the impartation of skills. It, it, it includes the um, modeling so that there can be a lifestyle change. And ladies and gentlemen, if all we've got is scalps hanging from our belt as if we had uh, converted folks, we didn't obey this text. You might have done something that was profitable for the kingdom, but the Great Commission asks us to make disciples. And, and modeling is such a principle of that teaching that is so necessary. I love to tell this story. We don't have much time to tell it. Let me kind of hurriedly go over it because I was going to ask you to go to the passage and take a look at it, but we don't have time to do that. You know the story about David and Goliath? Um, David, uh, you know, they were looking for somebody to go fight Goliath and they couldn't find anybody. In the whole nation of Israel, they couldn't find a giant killer. And then this little shepherd boy walks up and says, I'll do it. And uh, so in all of Israel, there was one, there was one giant killer. Then if you'll turn this afternoon and read uh, the last few verses of 2 Samuel 23, you will find a whole list of giant killers that are listed for you there. Where'd they come from? Just watching David. Like produces like. And after having watched David, that giant killer, oh, Israel was, uh, was full of giant killers now. Making disciples moves from the simple communication of facts and goes beyond to the application of truth to life. Notice what the text says. Teaching them to observe. It is, it goes beyond just saying, right, here's the facts, now we're supposed to live that. That's what making disciples is all about, ladies and gentlemen. 
teaching them to observe. And that's the only teaching that deserves the, t the name teaching. And then notice also that it is, the text says that you are to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Some of the, those things are pretty tough. Some of those things aren't exactly pleasant to listen to. But that's what we've been called to do, is to make disciples by teaching them to observe everything that Jesus taught. Um, we want correct teaching, but we also want complete teaching as well. You may have noticed, and um, we'll hurry through, but you may have noticed I skipped the baptizing them part. <laughs> I, I did that on purpose. Uh, I saved it to last because um, I don't want us to get embroiled in some kind of discussion about the meaning and the mode of baptism. That's not what this purpose of this text is, and it's not my purpose this morning. But the point in the text, I think, the point that is being made is simply that everybody who, uh, and, and, I, and I will say that most commentarians agree with what I'm about to say, but everyone who is indeed one to Christ are then to be identified with another body of believers by this rite of baptism. That baptism not being a part of their, salvific, their salvation experience? No, no. But indeed as a result, they are, they are one to Christ, they are identified with the body of Christ uh, via the sacrament of baptism, and then our job has only begun because we are to make disciples. One final note and I'll finish. Why? Why should we go do this? Well, one uh, answer ought to be categorically obvious to all of us. We're commanded. Another one is that seeing people die who do not know Jesus Christ ought to be for us almost an unthinkable thought. And then to those two, let me add three quick ones. You'll notice that this whole text, everything that Jesus says here, grows out of his opening words, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. The one in whom all authority resides has asked us to go do this. And if that's not enough motivation, I want you to notice his promise at the end. And lo, I am with you always. One final thing, and uh, we have a runaway. Um, one final thing that I, that I want to mention. Well, actually two. You know, folks, somebody, somebody in your life obeyed this text. I don't know who it was. Um, but somebody led you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they felt a sense of, of commitment to the Savior that they had just found. If they hadn't obeyed, where would you be? There's a whole lot more out there, ladies and gentlemen, that would love to hear what you heard. You know, we're in the midst of political conversations all over the country. We've had our first two debates. I didn't watch either one of them. I did hear this. I did hear that if only the vice presidential candidates were running, we'd all be better off. Um, I, I, I don't 
know about that, but uh, that's certainly the, the opinion that I heard expressed so frequently. But um, in these political uh, years, we're all wondering what should be the role of the Christian in, po in politics? How should we be involved, if at all, in politics? I want to read you one sentence from C.S. Lewis, and I'm finished. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. He who converts his neighbor has performed the most practical Christian political act of all. He who converts his neighbor has performed the most practical Christian political act of all. And he has also been obedient to the Great Commission. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray that you will move our church um, forward. We know that the mission of the church is missions, and we pray that you'll move her forward this week as we hear and see and are exposed to numerous things that we hope will make us more uh, eager to be involved in the execution of taking the gospel to the inner city of Memphis and to upper Mongolia. We ask it all in Jesus' name.